Good morning, New Life. It's good to see all of you who love Jesus here on this Labor Day weekend. We'll pray for all the degenerates who went to the lake and the beach this week. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My name is Chris. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors. Can you believe that we're already in the month of September? It's crazy, right? College football started yesterday, and so it's the best time of the year. Fall is right around the corner. Cool weather is right around the corner. The beautiful leaves. All of that stuff is just right in front of us. One of my favorite times of the year. And uh, we're also kicking off a brand new message series today that we're calling uh, DNA, the Bride of Christ. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next five weeks unpacking a topic that I'm really, really passionate about. And that's, and that's the local church. That's the bride of Christ. And one of the reasons I think I'm so eager to kind of dig into this topic with you is because I think so many people, even in our church world culture, so not, not just people like outside of the church world, outside of the faith, but even people within our, our walls, even people that are within our faith, a lot of us just have it all wrong when we think of what the church is and what its purpose is and why we exist. So one of the primary questions that I hope that we can kind of flesh out, answer together this morning and really throughout the next five weeks is what makes the church different than everything else out there? What makes the church different than like a social club? Or what makes the church different than a country club or a golf club or a health club or you name it? Are are there any distinctives about the church, the bride of Jesus. Uh, Just to illustrate, Cheryl and I have a membership to a a local gym, which means we have little cards that have barcodes in them. And so every time we walk into this gym, we scan our barcodes, and that gives us the right and the privilege to go in and do things that that you can't do, right? If If you're not a member there, all right, so we can go and we can use their pool. We can go and we can use their weight room. We have access to all sorts of fitness classes and childcare for our kids. All that kind of stuff that nobody else has access to unless they're members. So the question is, is that, is that kind of what a church is? Is that all a church really is? Is this a club that when you become a member, you get certain perks, you get certain benefits that other people who aren't inside don't have access to. So is the church an institution? Uh, is the church a building, like the building that we're all sitting in today? What, what is the church? There just seems to be so much kind of confusion out there, not just in the world, but even within uh, our own kind of family about what a church actually is. And I think that really, that truly is a tragedy when the people of Jesus don't understand the bride of Jesus, right? When, pe- when people inside the faith don't understand why we do the things that we do. When people don't understand, man, why do we do the membership thing? Why do we do weird stuff like push people under water when they follow Jesus? Why, why do we eat crackers and drink juice? And uh, why do we open up the Bible like we're doing right now every single week and preach basically the same message, Right, so why do we do all that stuff? So that's what we're going to be unpacking together. And we're going to be kind of discovering not only what the church is, but we'll also hopefully explain why we do some of the really weird things that we do. Things that mark us 
as a people, things that kind of mark the movement of Jesus' people over the course of the last uh, 2,000 years or so. Now, the scriptures speak of the church in two broad senses, right? So you have the universal church and you have the local church. Now, the universal church is all believers from all places and all times, right? Every single Christian who has ever lived, whoever will live, is a part of the universal church. That moment when you place your faith in Jesus, you repent of your sins, you give your life over to him, you become instantaneously a part of the universal church. But the Bible also speaks very clearly and directly about the local church. And the local church is a specific group of people who gather together at a particular time and place to pursue Jesus together and to live life together, right? So the local church is a spiritual family. It's a gospel community. That's what we are here at New Life. Now, we're part of the universal church, but at the same time, we are a very unique, a very distinct local church, and that is a very, very biblical concept. And it's the local church that we'll kind of be uh, talking about addressing mostly in this series. So over the course of the next five weeks, When you hear me say church, I typically will be referring to the local church, not the universal church, just so you know. And I can't tell you how how incredibly critical it is for us to understand the importance of the local church, especially, especially in our culture where it's not uncommon for me to hear people say stuff like, and you've heard people say stuff like this, maybe you've even had things like this come out of your own mouth, from well-intentioned people, but you've heard it, I've heard it, and people all the time, I'll hear this, they'll say stuff like, man, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Or I love God, and I have a personal relationship with God, I just don't need the church. And I, and I get it, right? Because in my experience, people, people who usually stay, say stuff like that have been deeply wounded in the church, so, so I get it. And if that's been your experience in the past, let me just say, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Or you'll, oftentimes you'll, you'll hear people say things like, man, my church is in the woods. Or my church is on the hiking trail on Sunday morning. Or the golf course or on a tree stand hunting for deers or whatever it is. And I, listen, I get that too. I feel close to God in the woods, Right? I, I, I feel God's presence and his power when I'm in the middle of nowhere staring at a hundred foot waterfall in the woods, right? Like that is that's just a powerful moment where I can connect with God. I understand that. But I also I want us to see from God's perspective and his word the absolute insanity of those type of statements. Because the church is the bride of Christ. The scriptures tell us that Jesus actually died to purchase his bride, Ephesians chapter 5. He loves his bride, the church, with a ferocious kind of love. Let me just put it to you uh, this way. And some of you have heard me use this example before. I love my wife, Cheryl, a lot. Now, if you were to come to me and say, hey, Chris, Uh, I really like you. I think you're a cool guy. I want us to be friends. But your wife, on the other hand, I cannot stand her. The sound of her voice is repulsive to me. I hate her personality. My wife and I would like to have you over for dinner, but please leave your wife at home. Do not bring her. How do you think that conversation is going to go? 
I can tell you it's not going to end well because I, because I love my wife, right? I love my wife. We are one. If you hate my wife, we're not going to be friends. In fact, you're probably going on the enemy list because she, she's my bride. She's part of me. We're one flesh. And see, my, my love for my wife pales, absolutely pales in comparison to the love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. So understand this. You Listen, and this is going to be hard for some of you to hear, but you need to hear it. You cannot, you cannot love Jesus rightly and not love what he died for. You cannot love Jesus well and not love his bride. It makes absolutely no sense. It's an oxymoron of the highest order. It just doesn't work that way. So I just can't explain to you how hugely important this is, what we're going to be talking about over the course of the next five weeks. You guys ready to go? Let's dive in. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it, Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we'll start. Ephesians chapter 4, that's right after Galatians. We just spent the last three months in the book of Galatians. So go over one book, you'll be in Ephesians. Be in chapter 4, this is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing this letter to a specific local church, not unlike the one that we're in this morning at New Life. He's writing a specific local church in a specific city called Ephesus about 2,000 years ago. And this is what the Apostle Paul says to these guys. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now let's hit pause right there just for a moment. Again, Paul is writing to a specific church in a specific city called Ephesus, and he's saying to this body of believers, listen, I want you to treat one another with humility. I want you to treat each other with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, bearing each other's burdens in love, and I want you to be unified as you live this out together. Now understand this, none of Paul's commands to the church in Ephesus make any sense at all if Christians are not a part of a specific local church. None of these commands make any sense at all if that's not the case. If believers are just kind of like freelancing it, Right? They're just free agents. They're just kind of balancing from church to church as they feel like it. Or they're finding their church in the woods or the hiking trail or whatever it is. None of what Paul is commanding is possible unless these Christians belong to a specific local church. So I want you to see kind of right out of the gate this morning that church is not an institution. Church is not a building. Church is not an event that happens here in this location for an hour on Sunday morning. So here, here's our first truth. Church is a family. Church is a family on mission with God, a family. See, see God, God is not building a place. God is not building a building. God is building a people. And his chosen vehicle for building a people is the local church. A group of people who have willfully kind of linked arms together and have said, listen, we are in this together. And understand this, the Christian life isn't easy. I don't know if you've noticed that yet or not. The Christian life isn't easy. It's pretty awesome, but it's, it's hardly ever easy. So a local church is a specific group of people 
who gather in a specific place that say, we are in this thing called life together. Let's grow together. Let's learn together. Let's mature spiritually together. Let's disappoint one another together. And by the way, that is going to happen. Let's learn from it together. Let's love each other together even when it's hard Let's help each other do this whole following Jesus thing well. Because I don't know about you, I cannot do that alone. I just can't. I need you guys. Like I promise you, if you let me just like freelance it in my life, I'll have my life train wrecked in like 3.7 minutes. I need a faith family around me and so do you. I need people to encourage me. I need people to pray for me. I need people to surround my family with love and support me through hard seasons in my life. I need people to, to challenge me to be a better man, to be a better dad, to be a better husband, to be a better pastor. I need all of that. And see, a local church is not an institution, it's not a social club, and it's not an event. It's a family. It's a spiritual family. It's a gospel community. Not a building, not an event. It's people. It's a family. So I've even started trying to like retrain my brain because I say something that's incorrect theologically all the time, and most of you do too. I say oftentimes to my family, hey, let's go to church. Like it's a building, like it's a place. I'm trying to re, kind of retrain my brain to say, hey, we're going to go worship with the family of God. We're going to the church campus because the church is not this building, right? It's a family. It's a people. Paul continues addressing this local church in Ephesus in verse 4. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Skip down to verse 11. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. That is, the leaders of the church. Christ gave his church a group of leaders for what reason? Verse 12. To equip the saints, that's all of you, that's all of us, every single one of us. Why? For the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of his bride into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part, that means every single one of us, not just the pastors, not just the elders, not just the missionaries, you, if you're a believer, Paul's talking to you. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the church is a group of people helping each other grow into spiritual maturity. And God gives the church leaders, and their purpose is to equip everyone, every believer in the body, so that they can help build up the body and expand God's kingdom. And everyone in the body is needed so that it functions in a healthy way. Which, by the way, means 
if you're just attending a church, if you just kind of like pop in and pop out on Sunday morning whenever it's convenient for you, two things happen in the church and happen in your life. The first thing that happens is you will, listen, you will never experience the family of God the way that he designed for you to experience it. And that's sad. The second thing that's going to happen is that you rob the rest of us of the unique gifts and talents that God has uniquely and specifically given you to build up this body of Christ, this faith family that we call New Life Church. So at the end of the day, you not only hurt yourself and you rob yourself of the family that God has intended for you to live and thrive in, you rob all of us of everything that he's given you to give back to his body to help us expand God's kingdom outwardly. Now, if you're like me, you may be thinking, man, I come to worship services every now and then. Maybe I even go to a community group. Are you saying that I'm not like a member at New Life? No, no, you're not. Right? Just like when Cheryl and I were, were dating, man, we, we enjoyed each other as friends. We spent time together. We began to fall in love with one another, but we had to take real, tangible steps to become legally married, right? So even if we lived together, even if we had started a family together, we would not have been husband and wife, right? There was, there was just something about making that covenant, like standing before hundreds of our friends and family, before God Almighty, and saying to her, in good times and bad times, I'm not going anywhere, Right? See, when we were dating, either one of us could have just bailed on the other for any reason. But when we took those vows, something fundamentally changed and deepened in our relationship. See, our relationship was no longer just based on kind of the warm, fuzzy feelings, right? That come and go, that Hollywood seems to romanticize as what a relationship should be all about. But our relationship became kind of just this deep-rooted, foundational level, ferocious commitment to one another. Now, if I had just said to her in that moment, hey, babe, let's, uh, let's just keep dating, like, forever. Like, <laughs> I just, I just want to keep dating. Like, I, I like you a lot, but I really don't want to commit to you to that level. And just imagine, like, 10 years later, 12 years later, we're still dating. Wouldn't that show a fundamental lack of value for her? Wouldn't that be in some ways a, a disrespect to her? A disrespect of her value to me? Like, hey, you're, you're good enough to date, but you're not good enough to marry. That's precisely what a lot of Christians do when it comes to the bride of Christ. Let me, let me just date but I don't really want to commit to anything and I definitely don't want any kind of level of accountability. So I'm just going to kind of float around on the periphery. I'm not going to commit to anything. I'm not going to come under the leadership of that church. I'm just going to kind of float around and do what I want when I want. But the scriptures are clear. A local church is a family and we don't treat family that way. The church is not a building. It's not a club. It's not an event. It's a family. And that's kind of the big idea that I want to draw out of that text from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. Now, I'm about to read another passage to you that I think will help build on the importance of the local church to the believer. Just so you know, uh, this is definitely uh, not one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
and uh, probably won't be one of yours either after we get done reading it. But let's read it. Hebrews chapter uh, 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders. He's talking about the context of the local church. Obey your leaders and submit to them. How many of you are already angry? You're already, you're already ticked off. For, the, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, some of you, if you're being honest, you just had like a visceral reaction to that verse in your gut, right? Like if I would have had a a camera zoomed in on your face, it would have looked like somebody just slapped your mama, right? You just, you want to punch somebody right now just because of what that verse said. Now, understand, I didn't write this verse. (laughs) The writer of Hebrews wrote this verse under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So please don't sucker punch me in the parking lot on the way out, right? And if I'm being completely honest, this is one of my least favorite verses in the entire Bible. In fact, this week I, I thought about trying to find a softer verse uh, to preach uh, to kind of drive home the importance of the local church, but I just I kept coming back to this. Now, what the writer of Hebrews just said is problematic for most of us because we've grown up in a radically individualistic culture that absolutely despises authority and commitment. And see, most of the people in our culture are absolutely miserable, and yet they are fiercely committed to the avoidance of any kind of authority or commitment. Now, I want to be completely honest with you this morning because I don't ever want you to come back to me and say, Chris, you lied to me, or Chris, you tried to manipulate me or something like that. So I'm just going to tell you on the front end, you will not find the term church membership anywhere in the scriptures. Like if you look for that in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you're not going to find it anywhere. Just like you're not going to find the term Trinity or countless other things that Christians believe in very deeply. But what we do find is all over the pages of the New Testament, we find principles of local church membership. For instance, When the writer of Hebrews says, believers are to submit and obey their leaders, which leaders is Hebrews talking about? Is that any Christian leader out there? Is that the joker on TV who's telling you to send him 100 bucks for his private jet? You supposed to submit to him? Right, so if you're not a team member of a specific church under specific leaders, how do you know which leaders you're supposed to submit to? Right, because there are a lot of wacky leaders out there that are out of their minds. Clearly, that's not what the writer of Hebrews was telling us to do. do. Let me just say, if the idea of submitting to the leaders of a local church is terrifying to you, let me just say that the second part of this verse is doubly terrifying for me and the rest of our elders here. Because what the rest of that verse says is that we will one day stand before God Almighty and we will give an account for how we shepherded your souls. You want to talk about something that will keep you up late at night? Let me ask you something else. Who are we going to be responsible for shepherding? Am I responsible for shepherding every Christian in the world? 
Am I responsible for shepherding every Christian in Asheville? Am I even responsible for for shepherding everybody that walks through these doors? That would be impossible. Clearly, we will be held responsible for how we shepherd those who come under the umbrella of New Life Community Church. Those who link arms with us in our mission and say, we're in. This is our church family. That's who we will give an account for shepherding as the leaders of this local church. Clearly, the writer of Hebrews says that that can only happen on both ends if there's some method of believers belonging to a local church. Now, we don't have time to to read this, but I would encourage you to go read it at some point because it's fascinating. But there's a story in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 of a guy who is in that church who is sleeping with his dad's wife. You think you're messed up? Go read the Bible. I mean, <laughs> the Bible is nothing if not brutally honest about how messed up we all are, even in the church, and how much we need Jesus. So this guy is with his dad's wife. Apparently he's arrogant about it. He's not repentant. And Paul writes this church, he writes the leaders of this church, and he says, remove this guy from your church. Kick him out. He actually goes a step further. He says, deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his body. Are you serious, Paul? Wow. But Paul says, I want you to do this so that his spirit, so that his soul might be saved. Right? So Paul says, kick this guy out of your church. Remove the spiritual protection of the church from this guy so that Satan can absolutely have a field day with him. Just wreck his life so that hopefully he'll repent and be restored and come back to the church. Now, let me ask you a question. How can you kick someone out if there's not an in? How can there be an official out if there's not an official in? It seems like a logical fallacy. It's an impossibility. Now, we could go to Titus, we could go to 1 Timothy, we could go to other places in the Gospels, but clearly, undeniably, the New Testament writers assume that every believer will place themselves under godly leadership of a particular local church body. So if you're here and you're a Christian, I just want to ask you a question. Have you done that? Are you being obedient to this principle that is all over the pages of the New Testament? If not at New Life, then somewhere else. And just so you know, this is a command. And by the way, this this is a command in Hebrews. This is not a suggestion like, hey, listen, if you feel like it one day, if you finally want to get around to it, you you might want to become a part of a local church. This is a command. And this command, by the way, to be under spiritual authority of a local church applies to me, and it applies to every other elder at New Life. The reality is I I wouldn't have come to New Life a year and eight months ago if we didn't have elder leadership here. I'm under elder accountability here, and I need that. Look, I, I know that I'm capable of making really poor decisions on my own. And I don't want to subject you to that. I don't want to subject myself to that. And our other elders are under the accountability of the elder leadership team. In other words, listen, we're not ever going to ask you to do anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. Listen, nobody is freelancing it here. 
I, I meet with our elders regularly, at least once a month, sometimes twice a month, and I meet with an elder individually every other week. And he asks me how I'm doing in my marriage. He asks me how I'm doing with my kids. He asks me how I'm doing morally. All of that. And I need that spiritual authority and covering in my life, and so do you. And listen to me, it doesn't, it doesn't hinder me. It doesn't hold me back. It helps me thrive as a man and a father and a husband, as a pastor. I'll give you one example just to kind of highlight uh, how this, this system of leadership works here. Um, I had an idea last year with another elder. We thought it was a great idea. And we sent an email out to all the other uh, elders in our church. And they basically wrote back and said, that, hey, that's a really dumb idea. And um, they were a little more <laughs> polite than that. Um, but we, listen, we, we dropped it and we, and we moved on. And, and thank God I am not steering this ship alone. Some of you are like, praise Jesus he's not doing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm under spiritual authority. And it protects me. And it protects all of us. And we all need it. Even when we don't want it, we need it. So here's what I want to say to you. And this is kind of our second big idea, second big truth this morning. God's design is for his people to belong to a local church. From the very beginning, God's plan was never for believers to just freelance it, to just be free agents, to just go it alone, just kind of pop in and pop out of churches, just looking for the hottest music or the coolest kids program or see who has the best coffee bar or whatever it is. His design from the start was for his people to be a part of a specific local church family, to link arms with other people, to grow with them, to do life with them, to be cared for by a specific group of leaders and elders who will give an account before God of how they shepherded and cared for the members of that church body. But also understand this, we cannot shepherd everyone in Asheville. We can't even shepherd everybody who walks through these doors as much as we may want to. We don't have the bandwidth for that. We can only shepherd those who voluntarily, in obedience to God, place themselves into this family by becoming a team member here. That's the way God has designed it to function and work. You say, man, why is this so, why is this so important? Man, why are you, it seems like you're getting worked up about this. Why is this so, why is this so important? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us why belonging to a local church is so important. Let's go back, Hebrews 13, 17. He says, uh, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls. He says, listen, you need, you need to obey, you need to submit to your leaders because they give watch to your souls. And you may be thinking, listen, I'm a big boy, Chris. I'm a big girl. I why do I need somebody to keep, keep watch over my soul? That is a fantastic question. I'm so glad that you asked. Ephesians chapter 6. Don't turn there. We don't have time. I'm just going to read it to you. Paul, this is Apostle Paul writing again. This is what Paul says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 5, this is the Apostle Peter. He says it like this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, believer, and this is our next truth this morning, we are in a war. We are in a spiritual war, and we have a very real, a very smart, a very cunning, a very powerful enemy who lives to destroy you. So like if I were just, for instance, if I were to tell you, hey, look, um, somebody, some team's going to grab you, and they're going to throw you in an airplane, they're going to take you uh, to Africa, and they're going to dump you in the wilderness out there, and you're going to have to survive for a year in lion country. You have two options. You can either go it alone, or you can have 10 special forces soldiers who are qualified and trained killing machines to go and watch over you for that year. year. Which one are you going with? I'm going with the Green Berets, right? I'm not not going alone. Are you insane? At the very least, I can like run away as the lions are eating them. I'm not, but I'm not going alone, right? And yet that's what scores, that's what thousands of believers do in their spiritual lives every single day. Do you see the foolishness of that? Now, if you're thinking, man, I, I thought that once you became a believer, once you followed Jesus, that Satan was kind of bound from you, that he couldn't mess with you. Well, that's partially true, right? He can't, he can't take away your salvation. He can't mess with your salvation. Certainly he's on a short leash, His final fate is definitely sealed. We know the end of the story. But the scriptures are also very clear that in the meantime, Satan is on this earth and he is wreaking havoc. And he absolutely can mess with your relationships. He can mess with your marriage. He can mess with your kids. He can mess with your health. He can mess with your finances. Go read the book of Job. Right now, all of that is in the context of God's sovereignty, right? Like the devil can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. But the point is, he is definitely active in destroying things in this world right now. We are in a spiritual war, friend. So listen, when soldiers are away at war and it's time for them to go to sleep, what do they do? They just go to sleep, all of them? No, they appoint a what? They appoint watchmen. So they won't be absolutely slaughtered in their sleep. Jesus has given his bride, leaders, elders, to watch over our souls. To pray for us, to counsel us, to encourage us, to correct us at times, to get us back on the right path. And generally to provide a spiritual covering over this body of believers. Now, I just got to believe that, man, there are a lot of Christians out there that are just getting worked over in their lives because they've chosen to live outside of God's design for them in the local church. And maybe they even attend a church some, maybe they even go to some church events, but they have not linked arms and placed themselves under the umbrella of a local church and her leaders. I love this um, quote by Charles Spurgeon, this legendary 19th century pastor who just tens of thousands of people would come uh, to hear him, and God did a mighty movement in England uh, through this pastor. But I I want you to hear what Spurgeon said about the local church, and this will be on the screens uh, behind me so you can follow along. Spurgeon says, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not 
If I had never joined a church till I'd found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been perfect church after I'd become a member of it. Still, and perfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost in the world. As I have already said, the church is faulty. It's not perfect. But that is no excuse for your not joining it if you are the Lord's. Nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. So here's what I want to say to you this morning, and this is our last truth. In the immortal words of the famous 21st century theologian, Beyonce, it's time for you to put a ring on it. (laughs) It's time for you to put a ring on it. If you say you love Jesus, then fall in love with his bride. Quit dating endlessly, bouncing around with no commitment at all, under no spiritual authority at all. Come under the leadership that God has placed in the local church. If not here, find somewhere else where you can do that. And plant your roots and grow with Jesus in his bride. So listen, if you're not a a covenant kind of team member here, I just want to invite you to take that next step of obedience, not to me, but to God and to his word, to his people. And listen, understand, as a team member here, you will receive a different level of care from our leadership team than people who are not team members here. And that's not because we're a bunch of jerks. That's for two very real reasons. The first reason is biblical. And that's that we're, we're called to shepherd the flock, the body at new life, not everyone. The second reason is a practical reason. That's simply that we don't have the manpower to be everything to everybody. I simply, as much as I want to, I don't have time to meet with every person who emails me in the community or, or, or sends me a phone call and they want to have a conference or present some kind of ministry. Or I, don't, I don't have time to do that. Our elders don't have time to do that. Our staff doesn't have time to do that. And we're not called to do that. We are called to shepherd this body, the people who have willfully linked arms and joined together in this community of faith, and we will give an account for how we shepherd this family and this family only. Now, our our church is kind of weird, and you're thinking, heck yeah, y'all are weird, but we're we're weird in one specific way. Most churches out there have like 5,000 members on their roll and like 200 people attending, right? I came from a church like that. In New Life, we have the opposite problem. We have between six and 700 people who flow through here on an average weekend, and we have like 300 covenant team members, which means there's a lot of you who are here every week that need to take that next step and become a covenant team member. So we have our next membership class. It's called Journey 201. It's coming up later this month. It's on the 29th, it's Saturday morning. You can sign up for that on our app, on our website. You can go to the Next Steps booth as soon as you leave. Sign up for that. Listen, this is God's design for his people. 
And we only thrive as human beings when we're operating within his design. So listen, let's, let's lock arms together. Let's advance the kingdom of Jesus together here in our city and around the world for our good, for his glory. Let me pray for us as the band comes. Father in heaven, you, you are good. You are so good and your ways are good even when your ways don't make sense to us, even when your ways seem hard to us, even when your ways seem unnecessary to us. Your ways are always the best ways. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins. Thank you for sending him to buy us out of slavery, God. Jesus, would you help us just to understand how much you love your bride, that you died for her, that you died for the church. So God, help us to, help us to love, help us to, to give ourselves away to the things that you love and that you gave yourself away for. Father, would you make us a family here? Would you, would you bond us together? Help us love one another in a way that would show the world your love. God, help us to live life together in a way that would make Jesus beautiful to those around us. It's in that beautiful and that strong and perfect name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, would you stand with me?